I studied design and technology at Sydney University. I lived in Sydney for eight years. I was really glad to be there and really glad to leave uh, at the time too, uh, at the end of that eight years. Um, design and technology was kind of a manual arts kind of version in New South Wales. There was a few kind of extra little bits and pieces in design and technology in, uh, in, uh, in New South Wales that were different to Queensland. There was an engineering science component, which was kind of like a Mass B slash Mass C kind of level of uh, study uh, that we would do at uni, but then also teach in the school. So manual arts teachers kind of had something that justified that they were academ academic kind of people. Uh, we were asked to make lots and lots of things when I was at uni. I made a rocking chair, I made a stereo cabinet. Um, we made reinforced concrete, mini reinforced concrete beams that we'd put under tensile testing. We'd do compression testing. We'd do, we did all sorts of stuff. Uh, made a woodwork lathe or it didn't get finished, but that's what we were supposed to do. One of the things that, um, one of the assignments that we were asked to do was to make a centre square. So you go, what on earth is the point of a centre square? Well, the purpose of a centre square is to find the centre of a round object. So you stick it on there and it can find the centre of a round object really quickly. So basically what we were given is a black, scaly covered piece of plate steel that was square and then a long strip. So part of it we had to kind of cut out was the right angle bit, and the other bit was the, uh, the centre bit that kind of went across there. And uh, it was a filing exercise, all right? That's what it was. So basically what you had to do is you had to start off with your bastard file, which is actually a kind of file. Students at the school used to love it. It's like, now I can swear and not get in trouble. It's a bastard file. I need to get that bastard file, thank you. I've got to be careful saying that, but you start with a bastard file, right? And you're, you're probably sitting there and you're going, oh, it's filing. Well, it's easy. You just file, don't you? Well, not really, right? Because what we had to actually do with this thing that we were making is we had to keep it flat. Now, you can round something really easily with a file. It's a lot harder to actually keep something flat when you're filing, and it's got all to do with... Does anyone even know what I'm talking about right now? It's got to do with your body shape and not doing that as your file. And so you started off with your bastard file and you'd work through like second cut files and then you'd end up at a smooth file because you're wanting to get almost a shiny kind of surface on, on uh, the surface of your centre square, right? So it took hours uh, to do it. There was always a danger that lurked when you were making your centre square with a, uh, a file is that a, a piece of metal could actually get caught in the teeth of the file and you'd go... <laughs> straight across the uh, surface of your uh, centre square or the part of the centre square you were making and then all of a sudden you're back to the bastard file and probably using the word bastard in a way that you shouldn't, all right, at that point in time. Um, there was a guy in my year at uni was like the awesomest filer. <laughs> and you guys go, yeah, it's pretty low on the care factor, probably zero and dropping at this point, right? But he was like the awesomest filer and we were in awe of his ability to file. And he was absolutely just committed to doing a great job on his centre square. And it's, it's a weird thing, right? But there's lots of weird things that people appreciate in each other, like camping envy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you go through a campsite, like they've got a better tent than me. It's like it's a tent. Do you know what I mean? We get in this kind of comparative kind of thing where we just think it'd be nice to have what they've got. But anyway, this guy spent hours and hours and everyone was just going, man, there's like a, this is just a ooh, coming off his work. That's how good it was, all right? 
and he was just getting close to the end and the dreaded thing happened. A little piece of steel got caught in the teeth of his file and he just went <laughs> across the top of it. It was then and there that the phrase, a hammer will fix anything, was embedded into my head. <laughs> it grabbed a ballpoint hammer and totally destroyed this centre square and had to start all over again. Uh, something good had been wrecked, something great that he had made was corrupted. And today we're actually going to look at words. Words are powerful, they're significant, they're long-lasting, but they also corrupt and they wreck things. Why don't you, uh, can you grab your Bibles with me? If you don't have one, you can sneak up the back there and grab one. Um, just going to go to Ephesians 4 today, Ephesians 4 verse 29. You know, as a kid, I always thought this verse was about not swearing, all right? But the text is actually about far more than not swearing. I always thought the text was about, here's a whole bunch of things that you shouldn't do, but it's actually got more to do with what you should do than what you shouldn't do. So Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give, may give grace to those who hear. Now keep it open there in front of you. Words always have direction to them. And I want to, want to start here today is that words and speech can corrupt. All right? It either builds up or it tears down. Now, when you look at that word corrupting talk, you know the Greek behind corrupting there actually means rottenness that makes things rotten so if you want a, an image a picture in your head think of a rotten apple in a bunch of apples it's making other apples rotten so words can do that words can be rotten and they can make things rotten come with me across to luke chapter 6 verse 43 luke 6 verse 43 Luke 6 verse 43, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Listen to this, For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. See, corrupting language doesn't just pop up out of nowhere. Corrupting language comes from a corrupted heart, a heart that's ruled by something other than Jesus. Mostly corrupting language comes out of a heart that's ruled by itself. Your tongue almost always serves your self-worshipping heart. It gets messy, it gets dark. Let's uh, just dip into Proverbs 18, I'm going to put these up on the screen. Um, dip into the Proverbs for a little bit, here we go. Let's start here with this one. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. That is like an insanely intense proverb. Like you create death or life by the things that you say. Now the really frustrating thing about that is there's a whole bunch of us would just like to go, there's one missing, like neutral. <laughs> but there is a neutral. There's no neutral. It's all kind of, you're either creating death or you're creating life. Words either kill or they make alive. Words either tend toward encouragement, hope, forgiveness, gentleness, brotherly love and kindness, or they move towards death, 
condemnation, anger, vengeance, malice, slander, gossip. So the whole story that we're part of is this fight between life and death and your words are actually part of that. You always speak in one of these directions. So when someone does something you don't like and you say, are you blind? That's life or death, all right? Those things that you say in your head when someone steals your car park at the shops, that's life or death, all right? The things you say out loud in the car in front of your family when they steal your car park at the shops, that's life or death. I mean, you're probably not pulling up at that point and just going, God, I just pray a blessing upon them. Let life just come to that car. And I pray that car never breaks down for the next 15 years. No mechanical troubles and that the person in it just lives a peaceful, fulfilling life. You're not doing that, right? You don't want to kill them. But if they felt a bit of pain, that would be really helpful in that moment, wouldn't it? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Uh, some of you do. The rest of you are lying. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> don't kill them now, but make them hurt. All right? That's kind of the idea. What about when someone's gossiped about you and they've hurt you? What are you going to do? Well, get them. <laughs> Don't you? Don't you just want to get them? I mean, you're not going, hey, let's have a prayer meeting. You know? I mean, sometimes people have prayer meetings and they do gossip through prayer meetings, don't they? Let's talk about our prayer requests and how much of a loser that person is and how much they need Jesus. All right? That kind of happens. But usually you're not sitting down kind of thinking, okay, let's just sit down, talk together and reconcile and we'll pray together. You know, you just want to get them. Power, the power of life and death are in the tongue. And who knows that sometimes it's best to say nothing. Who knows that? Here's uh, Proverbs 10, 19. When words of many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Who knows that? Does anyone here ever get into trouble because you just talk too much? <laughs> all right so sometimes it's good to stop talking so much <laughs> like you won't sin as much if you just don't talk as much that's really what proverbs 10 is is saying here this well i've got an even i've got one that kind of stitches onto this which really suits junior high school students even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips he's deemed intelligent <laughs> it's like just stop talking you can look smart if you say nothing, all right? Many, many words can come out of the heart. If you talk too much, what does it say about your heart? But here's the thing. Uh, sometimes in the church we can get in this place where we just kind of think, look, the best thing is do no harm. Like just Maybe some of you sit there and you go, well, I'll just stop talking. That would be weird if you completely stop talking. But you go, I'll just stop talking. But here's the thing. The Bible's got a lot more to say than just do no harm. If you did that, if you just did do no harm, you're doing about half of what God wants you to do, maybe. Because God's actually not just wanting you to do no harm, he's wanting you to do a whole bunch of good. But here's the thing. What we're grappling with here is the fact that the tongue is a mighty strong um, muscle in our body, isn't it? Listen to this from James 3 verse 2 if anyone does not stumble in what he says he's a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body you know what james is saying he's saying you are drop dead perfect if you can control your tongue now that's a bit despairing in a sense 
Uh, for some of us, you just go, oh man, like seriously, like every other area of my life is going to get squared away. If I can get my tongue done, that means I have that much strength that I can control every other area of my life. Well, I think what uh, James is saying is he's not just telling us how powerful the tongue is. I think he's telling us how much we need God to help us with our tongues. We are so in need of his help. Now, we don't want to be people, and God doesn't want his people to be people who are powerful with their words in a harmful way, but he does want them to be powerful in a healing way. Listen to this beautiful proverb from Proverbs 12, verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, all of you have been in a situation, I'm sure, where you've just been with a psycho who's just running around with a dagger, like not literally, but with their mouth and just stabbing people with words. You know what I'm talking about? You just have, you know. And it's like in the middle of that, what do you do? Well, it's not just stop talking they do need to stop talking and stabbing people but you just need your you need to use your words and your tongue to bring about healing who knows that there's a lot of healing that's needed in the world yeah there's a lot of healing that's needed in toowoomba right who knows that even in this room that there's a lot of healing that needs to happen it's true and one way that you can do that is with your words the words that you use do they bring healing i mean really what paul's saying in ephesians 4:29 is no word that you utter should be harmful is that you and just one quick note before we really kick into the the practicals that paul kind of unfolds in ephesians 4:29. um who here knows that sometimes the words that you say are not the words that other people hear I mean, that happens to me preaching, right? Sometimes people come up to me and they say, man, that bit that you said about that was so good. And I'm just going, I, could, I, can't, I, I didn't say it, all right? But I think that's the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the Holy Spirit kind of doing things in people. But sometimes in relationship with people, you say things to them and they hear something completely different. And there is a very real, in a very real sense, a reality that uh, you can't control what other people hear. I mean, you can work really hard to communicate what you intended to communicate, but people can still be stuck with the wrong idea. And I think it's important to realise that when it comes to communication, you're not just responsible for the words that you say, but you're also responsible for what people hear when you say those words. Does that make sense? So you're wanting to just do a little bit more work than just saying, no, I just said it, and if they take it the wrong way, it's their fault. Like, we want to do better than that, right? Is anyone with me on that? We want to make sure that what's actually being communicated is what was intended. Well, how do we do that? Well, let me tell you a couple of things that I do when I do pastoral care with people is when they're saying things to me, every now and then I'll just stop and I'll just kind of go, hey, here's what I heard you say there before. Is that what you were saying? And that's just kind of a little check that just kind of goes, hey, I just want to make sure I understand you properly. And sometimes when I say something to them, I might pull up about five or ten minutes in the discussion sorry, further down in the discussion and just say, hey, uh, wh- what did you think I said when I said that? And they'll, they'll tell me. And sometimes they'll tell me something completely different to what I said, which gives me a great opportunity to just kind of back up and say, hey, well, that wasn't kind of what I meant. And it's an opportunity to clarify the communication. Sometimes they'll say, yep, that's... Uh, they'll say exactly what I was trying to say and then we're kind of communicating well. So just a quick note about that. Sometimes um, 
we need to say things and God calls us to say things that aren't particularly, in inverted commas, nice. And uh, nice things tend to be often, if we are wanting to make sure that we're saying something nice, a lot of the time those words are weak words. And so rather than... Um, Sometimes we can, we can break things up into so many different categories. So in my head, I'm just kind of thinking of re- two really helpful categories of weak words and strong words. Weak words and powerful words. Uh, powerful words for good. Um, sometimes we need to say powerful things or strong things to people that are hard for them to receive. So another thing that you could do in that kind of situation is to just connect with them pretty shortly after that maybe the next day or send them a text or something and say that like it how are you give them a call and just say hey i'm just checking in to make sure everything's okay making sure that what was said is okay and that you're kind of tracking okay through it so just a few kind of practical thoughts about how to make sure communication goes well sticks and stones will break my bones but names will never hurt me not on your life Physical wounds heal. Who knows that wounds on the soul last much, much longer. So I want to spend the rest of today just looking at the practical um, pieces of what Paul's actually talking about in Ephesians 4.29. So I'd love for you to just to track back to that in your, in your Bibles there and just have it open in front of you um, so that we can just kind of go through that. Here's, here's the first one. Paul wants us to speak building words to one another notice what he says let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as it is as as good for building up you see he's just come out of uh talking about working hard so that you have something to share it's almost like he's saying hey do something good with your hands now do something good with your mouths build something with your mouths and this is the bottom line Uh, we tend to with our words either be building up or tearing down you are a complete loser is a statement that would be tearing someone down, right? You'll never amount to anything. I wish you were never born. They're kind of tearing down words. They're not building up words at all. What about this one? Always, never and only. You always do that. Now, usually people say you always do that when they're in the middle of a bit of a relational strain with someone. Is it on with me? You're all sitting there like this doesn't happen to me. Does it happen to you? you? You always do that. Now, that's in the middle of some kind of relational strain between two people, right? And if you're anything like me, when someone does that to me, I think, well, I can think of one time where that didn't happen. <laughs> and I say, no, I don't always do that, all right? And you've got your evidence. You've got it lined up. It's like exhibit A. All right, here's the evidence. I don't always do that. And that really helps the relationship, doesn't it? Because now you're having an argument about language and it just gets messy. Um, You know, it wouldn't help if you weren't so critical all the time. You never say anything nice to me. It just gets messy. Words that don't build. I think we need to be careful saying always, never and only. See, what it actually does when you use always, never and only is you're actually transitioning away from talking about what the person's doing that you're frustrated with, actually labelling them with a particular identity based on what they were doing. Do you see that? Like you always do that. You're actually making a character statement about them rather than talking about the thing that you're struggling with. 
never mind, you don't get it. That's not a particularly building thing. Uh, I wish I'd married someone else. That's not going to be a very building one. Uh, I wish I was single again. That's not a cool one either. I mean, you can take things like someone might lie, and if you, call, if you say um, you're a liar, what you've actually done is you've named someone with a particular trait. That's not going to be a building thing. You're an idiot. You're a monster. It describes people by their actions and locks people into an identity that's hard for them to get out of. I remember hearing someone a little while ago say that they were freaks. And they, they didn't mean it seriously, but, you know, it's just really hard for me sometimes to sit and hear someone talk about themselves like that and not actually think that they don't believe it at some small level. And they kind of said they didn't, but I just, you know, whenever you use one of those names, you know, like some, there's some freight that kind of goes with it, you know. Words are not just a light thing. Words break down, they dismantle, but they also can build so do your words build? I'm sure they do lots of the time. What do, let me give you a few ideas. I like the way you did that. That's a building kind of use of words, isn't it? I remember going to a teaching conference about 10, 13 years ago, and the one thing that just kind of drummed into us is go back and say to your students, you know what I like about you, and then finish the sentence. You know? And... I kind of do that, and I do that every now and, now and then with my boys because I just want to verbalise what I actually feel in my heart. So I'm just going to let you know. Sometimes I say, uh, you know that I love you. Yeah, I know that you love me. I said, well, I'm just going to keep reminding you just in case. All right? They're just building words. Um, I was down uh, in uh, Sydney, um, not this last week, but well, two weeks ago, I think. It's all a bit of a blur for me now, but I was down in Sydney two weeks ago doing some uh, stuff with Biblical Counseling Australia and doing some teaching and preaching down there. And, and I got up and did a talk, and uh, there's this lady down there. She's just a beautiful lady. She's, um, she's retired, so she's probably 35. Um, no, seriously, she's probably 65 or something uh, down there. Her name's Heather, and she is the most passionate, Jesus-loving um, she's as passionate and Jesus loving as I've seen in a 65 to 70 year old lady like she's just incredible um, and I got up and I did a talk down there she I wonder if you've got someone like this about two or three years ago she we connected and we kind of met each other and I uh, did some stuff two or three years ago and somehow she just became like in the top five supporters of Peter Sondergaard and I don't even know how that happened do you have someone like that? Like someone who just goes, look, I'm with you and I'm backing you and stuff. And um, so I got up in Sydney a couple of weeks ago and did uh, a, bit of a, a bit of a talk down there. And you know what? She came up to me at the end and she was so crazy excited, right? She goes, Peter, I've just got to tell you, you have no idea what Jesus did in me when you were talking before. She goes, you just have no idea. She goes, oh, Jesus was just speaking to me and he was doing stuff in me while you were talking. And do you know what it made me want to do? It's like, right, just give me that mic. I want to get up and talk about Jesus some more. Do you get that? It was such a building thing. And it wasn't, I didn't end up at the end of that thinking I was an incredible legend. I just got so excited about the fact that Jesus was up to something good in someone while I was speaking. And it just built me up. And I just thought, let's do that some more. Go get him, Peter. <laughs> That's kind of what it was. Go get him. You know, this, um, this last week, 
Does anyone here ever have times in your, in your life where you just, sometimes you just kind of struggle within yourself, you know, and it just gets a bit dark, you know? Like sometimes I think that we've all kind of got our little kind of Achilles heel that could kind of get you, <laughs> your weak spot, you know? And if you ended up in the, in the wrong place at the wrong time, it would kind of just get you, you know? Um, and I'm probably on, on Tuesday this week gone, I'm just struggling a bit, struggling within myself. You know, those moments where, you know, because most of the time you just go, no, light overcomes darkness. But every now and then you can get to a spot in your life where you go, mm, you see, I don't know anymore. Maybe, light, maybe darkness does overcome light. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And this week I, uh, I came over to a parent, um, a parent information night at the school as part of the chaplaincy stuff here at the school. And uh, a friend of mine was there because his daughter was uh, going into year 11. And... Um, he came up to me at the end and he said, oh, how are you going? And I, I just let him in on a little slither of what was going on for me at that particular point in time. You know what he said to me? He goes, oh, come on, mate. You can handle that. You can handle that. He goes, look at your pedigree. You're going to be fine with that. And do you know what it was? It was just like someone came in and just kind of cut something off. And it was such a strong building experience for me at that point in time. You with me? Like, you've got the opportunity to say that to people. I went home that night and I uh, shared a little bit of my heart with, uh, with Ange and she did the same thing to me. It wasn't like weak words. They were strong words from my friend and from my wife, but they were words that were incredibly building for me in that, particularly, in that particular moment. See, strong, powerful words are what we're gunning for. Amen? That's what we want to do. We want to kind of get alongside, get behind people. And use words that are really going to bless them and build them. I'm uh, doing a uh, doctorate, and part of doing a doctorate is you have to do a research proposal defence, which basically means you stand up and talk about what you're going to do, and then a whole bunch of people ask you questions that you don't know the answer for. That's basically it. Um, and I was ready to do my research proposal defence, and uh, um, it wasn't at the, the next one that was scheduled was going to be too late. So they said, that's cool. We'll uh, just organise a, a special one just for you. And I'm just going, that's going to be great because then there'll be five people there, all right? And, you know, we can just kind of get in and get out under the cover of darkness and no one's going to know, right? So then they advertise this thing. 25 people came to this thing, all right? I uh, gave my proposal for about 30 minutes and then uh, for about 45 minutes, people asked me questions and criticised parts of what I said um, in a way that I didn't know the answers to most of them. But you know what? All of the people in that room wanted to help me. And sometimes strong words are words that are critical, but well-intentioned. And at the end of that, basically what happened is the research panel then took me behind the shed and gave me a good flogging too, right? But... The, the, uh, the bottom line of it all is that all of them were interested, interested in my project going really well. They were interested in me. And so strong, good, helpful words sometimes are going to be words that build something and they're a bit hard to receive sometimes. Sometimes we struggle to hear them because we're proud and sometimes we struggle because we have identity issues. Sometimes we struggle for all sorts of reasons. But good, powerful, kind of strong words are not always... Uh, warm and fuzzy words. Amen? They're really helpful words. So we need to say words that build. We also need to say, we need to say words that fit. 
So you might be trying to build someone up, but you're just doing it at the wrong time. Right? You just, it's all about timing. Right? You've got to do it at the right time. My kids have got a way of asking me to do stuff at weird times. All right? I'll be, we've got a chicken coop that's this high and chickens roost in it at night and it gets filled with chicken poo, right? So I'll be in there with a shovel, shoveling out chicken poo like a six foot three guy and one of my kids will say, can you come inside and do something for me? And I'm just going, that's no, just not the right time. Another one, uh, parents, you probably had this one happen, is where you, um, where you get in the shower and one of your kids comes and knocks on the door and starts talking to you and you just can't hear because you're singing such a great ballad. Well, the water's just really loud, you know. You just go, can you just wait? See, timing's really, really important. You know, sometimes people can say things that are building and helpful, but if they're delivered at the wrong time, it just misses the mark. And sometimes we, if we're on our toes enough, we can say, look, I'm just not ready to hear that right now. But a lot of times it's just hard to manage that. People say things like, I told you that would happen. There might be some truth in that, right? But that's pretty hard to hear in the middle of failure. I warned you, you chose not to listen. Now it's happened. Has anyone ever had that? You have, right? Because you just feel so blessed in that moment, don't you? It's like, man, the blessing of your wisdom is just washing over me right now. Uh, People say, uh, I thought it was a dumb idea anyway. (laughs) My my parents uh, had this line... For me, um, you need to broaden your world. Like your world's getting too narrow. Has anyone ever had their parents say that to them? Because it has the effect. Like that, the point of it was like your circles of people that you're moving in and the things that you're engaged with are getting too narrow, right? But when you, which would be true, and it was true, right? But I tell you, whenever they said that to me, my world narrowed even further to the point where I was only thinking about one person. The person who just said, you need to broaden your world. All right? It's a truth that needed to be delivered at a different time. Sometimes Dad would say to me, a poor workman blames his tools just after something had broken that I was trying to build. You know? And I'd be blaming it on the tools. You know? And it's like, well, there's probably some truth in that, but the, the timing of that could be a little bit different. It happens to everyone. You just have to get over it. And this one, this is a beauty. Anyone have a, had someone say this to you? Take a chill pill. Because that really works, doesn't it? Doesn't it? It's just like you just wind up even more. It's like, thank you. Or someone says to you, you need to calm down. <laughs> like, what's that? Has anyone here ever calmed down because someone told them to calm down? Like, you don't, right? It just kind of winds you up even more. And then this one, have you been living under a rock? See, that's, that's just not helpful at all. Fitting words are words that fit the moment, the timing is good. Here's, here's an example of one. I have some thoughts about that, which I'd be happy to pass on sometime. About uh, three or four years ago, I was preaching in the project here and uh, there was a guy here, um, oh, we probably suspected he was, he was on drugs um, at some level, um, I was preaching on suffering and he, it never happened to me before, he got up in the middle of my message, blew up about it, went off about it and then stormed out the back of the church. And I, um, 
I'd never experienced anything like that before. And basically, I made a bit of a hash of it, right? It was kind of like I was dumbfounded for a few moments. There was a bit of reverential silence, and then I just kept preaching after it. Um, and uh, there was a, uh, an older man in the church, a real kind of father of the church, Ted Hitsky, who, um, uh, look, like clockwork, he would ring me up at 2.30 or 3 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon and uh, say to me, Peter, just really appreciate your preaching this morning and what God spoke to me through it. It was just great. Just want to encourage you. And you need to get, you know, it was, it was like literally it was a 10-minute, 15-minute phone call and then he goes, oh, look, come on, you've got a family. You've got to get out to your family. I said, right, no worries, catch it, Ted. Sometimes he'd drive, he'd just pop in on the way home on a Sunday afternoon from wherever he was going. On this occasion, he rang me and he said, Pete, I need to come and see you. And uh, I went, ah, okay, something's not right. And Ted came and he sat down with me and he uh, basically said, mate, you didn't handle that well today. He said, you need to do better with that. And um, he said, I've just come over and I want to sit down with you. And I knew that his heart was for me, but he actually sat down with me and he went through how I needed to handle that in the future. He said, if that ever happens to you again, he said, you need to make sure a couple of elders from the church go out with him, that he's looking after it, and then you need to talk to everyone in the church about what's going on. Really helpful words, you know. But he didn't come up to me and just kind of hit me with that stuff straight after the church service in the morning when my head would have been spinning. He didn't do it via text message. He didn't do it via email. He didn't even do it via the phone. He did it in person and he came over and he said some really helpful building words that were well-timed at the time. That's what we want to be like, right? Because I think when we, when we do that, we can give people a real surge of momentum that they desperately need. Uh, before Ange and I started having kids, we went to New Zealand. And in New Zealand, there's a place called uh, the Hooker Falls. Anyone been there? It's an amazing site. So basically what you've got is uh, you've got the Waikato River, which is normally up to about 100 metres wide. At one particular point, narrows down to about 15 metres wide and goes through a rock kind of uh, volcanic kind of ledge at the edge of a, uh, edge of a lake. About 220,000 litres of water go over those falls every second. So it's just a massive surge. And I, I just want to encourage you this morning that we want to be like, we want to create like Hooker Falls in people's lives with the words that we say, right? Like a surge of power, empowerment, momentum, and confidence, it's like you've got this. This is a piece of cake. You can do this. God's called you to it. He's going to come through for you. You can just go straight at it, don't we? Like imagine if that's like happening in the project like 100% of the time. Someone hits a little roadblock or maybe a speed bump. It's just like straight through it, brother. <laughs> Power on, you know, and we're finding ways because we're in community with each other to speak words that make strength and, and building and establishing of who you are and what God's called you to kind of rush in like Hooker Falls. Amen? That's what we want to do. So last one, gracious words. Back to uh, Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion. Why? So that it may give grace to those who hear. So you want to build people, you want timing to be good, and you want to give grace in the way that you say things you know what grace is grace is a building up of what is needed or lacking it's conferring a benefit or doing someone a favor and i would ask you this morning are your words gracious and charming toward people 
Are your words a gift or are they a letter bomb? <laughs> How do your words minister God's kindness and grace to people? Can you just go a couple of books further along in the New Testament to Colossians? Colossians 4, which a lot of commentators call the sister letter to Ephesians. Very similar themes in Colossians 4. Colossians 4 verse 6. Listen to this. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What does salt do? Well, salt renders something palatable. It makes things agreeable and pleasant to taste. Herodotus, a Greek historian who was around about 450 BC, spoke of a salt lake in the neighbourhood of uh, Colossae, which supplied the surrounding country with salt. Isn't, isn't that what God would have us to be? That we would be people with our words that would season things with salt and make things tasty and palatable. Let's be those kinds of people with our words. Let's not dehumanise people with our words, but bring about healing for people. A quick note just as we finish here. God has invested words with great power. And the reality is, folks, that we're all victims and victimisers of other people with our words. There's a bunch of you here, there's a bunch of you in the project that have heard words that no one should ever hear. Ever. They're words that damage or damaged your identity. Words that ruin hope. Words that become glasses through which you see the world. Words that damage the way that you think about God. Now, it's not uncommon for 45, 50-year-old people to still be talking and thinking about experience that they, experiences they had when they were five, seven or nine. See, people can say words once out loud and they can keep being said for decades. And I don't have a silver bullet to get those words out of your head. But I do want to say to you this morning that there's one who understands you. There's one that understands what it's like to be victimised by words. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. I want to tell you this morning that Jesus gets you. And he will never, ever talk to you the way that they talk to you, ever. How do I know this? I know this because at Jesus' greatest moment of suffering, there was a battle over words. If you turn in your Bibles to uh, Luke 23. just want to look at a scene of the crucifixion of Jesus. Luke 23, verse 35. Listen to the words flying around as we read this scene. 
And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him. Have you had people scoff at you, laugh at you, mock you? Saying he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. Do you hear all the words just mocking and cutting? I mean, what does this even mean? I mean, you've got Jesus up there dying a, a horrendous death on a cross. I mean, the term excruciating that we use means out of the cross. They're slaughtering him barbarically and innocent. As if that is not enough, let's just start making jokes about him. That's a good idea. Let's hurt him even more. The bits of him that we can't even see, let's hurt those bits and let's scar those bits. And as if it wasn't enough that the bystanders were saying those things, the other guys that were getting crucified got in on the act too. Verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Just stop there. You see the war of words going on here? I mean, that the tide is just this hurtful, tearing down, not fitting the moment, ungracious words. And some of you have lived that nightmare. You've lived the nightmare of tearing down, ill-fitting, ungracious words. And I want to say to you this morning that It's because Jesus received those on the cross that you will never ever get them from him. Jesus will never speak to you like that. Listen to what he says in verse 43. And he said to him, Jesus that is, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Are there any more sublime soothing words that exist for a thief hanging on the cross dying than those words jesus bore your sin he took the wounds that people dealt with to him with words so that he would always him and his Father and the Spirit would always be able to speak sublimely, soothing, precious, powerful words to you.